welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that looks at the behind-the-scenes machinations of all of the franchises that you love to talk about. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And we are here on the Nerd Party, and you can, of course, send us a line at thenerdparty.com slash contact and look up Great Shot Kid. You can find us out there in the social networks on Twitter at JoinNerdParty. Use the hashtag GreatShotKid. And we're the Nerd Party on Facebook and Instagram. And again, the hashtag is GreatShotKid. And this week, we find ourselves with more interesting Star Trek news. Um, and I believe that uh, you stated it, Mike, as the fact that Nick Meyer is in the IDGAF phase of the NDA's uh, governing Star Trek work right now. And I think uh, he has been from the beginning, to be pro- honest. But probably. whatever, you know. Probably. Because it, it seems that we were a lot closer to a con series than we thought. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, you know, when things hadn't been announced. And it looks like this merger thing, which everyone thought would be great and bring us more Trek and everything like that, if nothing else, actually kind of screwed this whole thing up. Yeah. Because um, he was at a at, at, at a talk at what University of California in Irvine, I believe. And um, he was talking about Shakespeare and Star Trek. And someone asked him about his rumored show and he someone asked like if you can say anything about can uh, you probably can't say anything about it and he's like yeah yeah i can which i'm sure you know <laughs> yeah but you know he, he didn't get any into any specifics about what the show was about but he did say it was a trilogy for cbs all access oh. so I, I my guess would be like three 90 minute yeah movie things yeah, like a like which, a Sherlock season. Yeah, which yeah. would you know? I mean, I think we talked about this before. You know, in, in terms of like speculating, like well, you've got like let's say fifteen years in between Space Seed and Wrath of Khan, so like each one is maybe like you know five years worth of stuff or something like that. Yeah, bridging the gap between the two would be awesome. It would be great because you could have them establishing in in number one, number two. You end, or you know, somewhere halfway through, you have the cataclysm, and then the third one is all about you know the the hard scrabble struggle for survival and like having a, a series focused on how the rage hardens him and makes him even worse uh, while he's waiting. Like seriously, how cool would that be to have, uh, you know, like a little ninety minute thing that it's like Khan with like all of his loved ones dying around him, just becoming as brutal and just to the bone ruthless as he needs to be to survive and carry other people through. I, it could be a really awesome series, but, um, I don't, what is it CBS is blocking the Viacom thing now? They're like suing to block it or something. I don't know. Some people are suing some other people. Some people are under the impression that if some other people get control, then they're going to destroy the board or whatever. I don't know. You know, it's all a bunch of nonsense, but uh, yeah, it's it, it means that this thing's probably not happening anytime soon. But I mean, and and you wonder why because it's like, well, Discovery is going forward and they're making two movies, but for some reason, this thing is getting in the way. 
And the only thing that I can think of is something which goes back to uh, a thing which people have speculated about and which I think some of the writers for Discovery um, confirmed, which is that this, the TV show is not allowed to use characters created in the movies. So, I mean, you can understand, I guess, why... Well, Meyer would be hesitant in this. We, 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 we've had this whole debate about whether yeah. or not that guy is his son and regardless like he essentially created that character for wrath of khan so of course since that's like khan's central relationship in wrath of khan you would think that the creator of that movie would want to utilize that relationship and if paramount is blocking it then well that's a problem right yeah but i thought cbs was the one that was blocking it why did I think I CBS was? Yeah. Well, I because mean, CBS I, was against Viacom, and Viacom owns Paramount. And I mean, I, I, I think well, I guess what I what I mean, my my impression is that like the two companies were trying to merge, and then it's like we're all cool, we're all going to be good, we're one big happy fleet, and then <laughs> you know you can use this guy because who cares? We're, it's, it's all the same thing. It's all going to be the same, and then whoever it is sues someone else, but whether it's the sewer or the suey. You know, the whoever owns the rights to this guy is like, screw you guys. You know, you, you, you're trying to block this deal? Then no, you can't use Khan's maybe son, you know? Suey. I, I just love Suey. He makes me think of, you know, the, isn't that what they shouted for, like, pigs to call him the... Like, on the old sitcoms and everything, it was always Suey. Yeah. yeah. There you go. It reminds me of Green Acres. Yeah, it's, it's, that's it's it. Good. It's a terrible show. Oh my god! Eh, it's no Beverly Hillbillies, but uh, I got nothing against I it. I can't, I can't, I, I can't, can't do any of that stuff. Sorry. Oh, no. Beverly Hillbillies. You know, we we don't need to re-prosecute how wrong you are about Beverly Hillbillies. But yeah, you okay. know, I, I I'm willing to bet that there's that when you boil it all down, this is all going to come down to there's like some guy over at Viacom that some other dude hates. Mm-hmm. and just despises him, and he knows he's going to lose, and he knows it's not going to work out, and he knows the merger's going to happen, but he's just going to make it as painful as possible just to be a big jerk bag about it and just in the process screw us all out of this show that we want to see. Yeah, that's how it always works. I guess. Oh, well. I guess. Well, you know, I mean, at least we have some other television miniseries to watch in the meantime like the uh, the pennyworth show the alfred yeah, show yeah pennyworth yeah hmm um i mean from the creator of gotham which look here's the thing about gotham right uh, you ask any anyone anyone who knows me and i was the most excited person when it came to gotham i was like this is going to be the best show ever because the way it's described it's like Gotham City, before Batman. It's about a young Gordon on the police force. And I'm thinking like, and I've said this many times, I'm like, this is going to be a prequel to Dark Knight, right? Like, essentially. I mean, I knew not for real, but like that's what I had in my mind. Like, this is essentially going to be NYPD Blue, but in Gotham, right? Yeah. No cost, because the whole thing, the whole thing with Batman is that you know, he comes onto the scene and then there start 
you know, copycats start appearing or whatever, right? And people wearing costumes pop up because he's there, not the other way around, you know? Uh, See, I, I don't, I don't, I've never subscribed to that particular uh, theory about Batman that it's his fault that these colorful characters show up. Like you can, there's a whole chicken and egg thing with like the Joker and stuff like that. But you know, the penguin was there before him. I, it makes sense that the penguin is, th- is there before him because he's he's going to have an established. Even in Batman Returns, the penguin was around before Batman was. Right, but the penguin is basically just a crime boss. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's not you know, but there's no you know poison ivy. There's no you know you know what I mean. There aren't yeah. like the fantastical ones. There's no Mister Freeze or anything like that. You you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, I see where you're going. So, like, th- that was really disappointing. Like, they could have had the Penguin in there, and I would have been like, cool. You know, because he's just a weird guy, right, who who happens to be into crime. But he's not, like, you know, super tech genius, or he's not, you know, freak of nature, man-bat, whatever, was in a lab experiment, gone wrong. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just like, he's, he's a guy, and his name is the Penguin. You know, that's why I always thought, like, oh, Penguin, that's a likely candidate for dark knight rises you know because he's just a guy you know he fits into that universe well but whatever um so you know when the show came out and it's like you know first episode oh here's the penguin yes oh and here's you know poison ivy oh and here's thomas wayne or thomas wayne's kid yeah bruce wayne you know which is like no i mean like Maybe in the first episode, but then he goes away and you don't see him, but he becomes like a main character on the show. And it's like, this is not what I wanted at all. You know, like it just do it. It it became, well, it became what Smallville was. It became, you know, Batman, but without Batman. And it's like, that's not at all what I wanted or expected. And, you know, now, okay, Alfred Pennyworth, right? Okay. Fine, I. But it's gonna be action. Ba- I mean, I don't know, and it's it's like I guess this was like just a. But if it's the story of Alfred before uh, Batman, when he like before Bruce Wayne is born, there's no way they can make it a Batman show. But they can at least show like why Alfred is, you know, I mean, the right guy to be around for Bruce. Like that that was the one thing that I, I didn't. I have not kept watching Gotham. But I did stay with it for about two seasons. And one of the things I enjoyed about it was I have liked the pivot that people have taken in the modern era with Alfred, including Jeremy Irons' character of, you know, he's not just the, the he's not like Michael Caine about it. He's obviously, you know, like Jeremy Irons is walking around, he's still in like fatigues and stuff like that. And Sean Pertwee's Alfred was pretty cool because I, I remember specifically an episode where like Bruce is ready to crack and cry and he's being all, you know, sad about it. And it's Alfred that's like, no, knock it off. You got to be hard and strong. And it's like, I can see somebody like that leading Bruce Wayne to become the Dark Knight. You know, somebody who's like, shut it down, be hard, you know, like that, yeah. I, I can dig that. I mean, I guess I guess I like 
the Michael Caine version the best. And and that was one when they were like, Michael yeah. Caine is going to play, you know, Alfred. I was like, what? No, no, no. He's not nearly frail enough to play that character, you know, or whatever. And then when they started doing it, and, you know, you have that thing. You have little hints where he's like, you know, I was over, you know, wherever In I Burma. was chasing, yeah, Burma chasing, uh, you know, jewel thieves or something. And you're yeah. like, what? And they never like explain it. Just like, oh, you know, this is just something that he did, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, and, and by not getting into the backstory, you're like, what else has this guy done? You know, that's pretty whatever. But, uh, you know, and, and, and like, I, like, I, on on paper, it's like okay, fine. Alfred's backstory, okay, that could be interesting, but knowing that it is from the creator of Gotham and having just seen what he did with all this, yeah. it's like okay, so it's going to be action based, of course. You know, you're like contractually obligated to do that and everything like that, and it's just like no, this is going to be again Batman without Batman. It's like that's not what I'm. But see, I I I see what you're saying with that where my hope springs eternal is like, I would even love to see Alfred. Like he's, you know, special forces guy, make him a James Bond type of guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or like where he goes out, but he's like a mercenary sort of figure and everything like that. But I'd love to see tie-ins where it's like, um, you know, cause in, in the original, uh, 1989 Batman, Smilex was an abandoned CIA project because it, it left everybody with that, that horrible smile on their face. And so, you know, you see the Joker looking through the files and everything like that. I'd love to have Alfred out on a mission and like they're testing, they test this new gas and then like it dissipates and he pulls off his gas mask. And he's like, Oh my God, look at what happened to these people. This is disgusting. So that you have like set up in your mind is like, Oh, 30 years later when this comes back, that's going to, you're going to say, Oh no, I've seen this before. Like, okay, I'll let them do that once a season. Like, they've got to pick okay. and choose, and they can pull that card once a year, and that's it, you know? That's fine. That, to me, is like the equivalent. This happened all the time, and it used to drive me nuts on the X-Files, where it's <laughs> like, it's my day off. I'm going to the beach, and all of a sudden, there's a ghost, and it's like, how many times are these people <laughs> who just happen to be working on these paranormal cases going to encounter paranormal crap in their daily lives, you know? That always annoyed the crap out of me. See, you would ask that question, and I would say you could watch Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel mm-hmm. or even Demon House streaming on Amazon Prime for $7. And mm-hmm. you can find out that there's a Zach Bagans and his crew who encounter ghosts 100% of the time when they go out looking for them. <laughs> Well, I guess that's that's a possibility. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, like I think that one of the best episodes of the the last season of X-Files was that actually, you know, the technology episode. Did you see that thing? Uh yeah. no, I did not come back. Uh yeah. I they lost me, man. I did not come back for this most recent season there, of the, X-Files. There's this one episode which is really really good where like the the, the entire like the, like the first like 10 15 minutes are like there's no dialogue at all. And like they go to dinner at like a sushi, like an automated sushi restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they're like the only people there. And they're basically being served by robots. Cool. And there's like they, they mess up their order or whatever. And they go to try to find a person and they realize that there are no people there. So they go to pay the bill and the robot asks for a tip. And Mulder's like, no tip. You know, what are you talking about? So then they call for their Uber, 
you know, using their phones and then they, you know, get into a car which doesn't have a driver and then basically, you know, uh, taking them all the way back to their separate houses or whatever, they're being terrorized by these machines, whether they're drones, whether they're, you know, whatever, like, uh, you know, smart houses or whatever. The, the the machines, the AI, are terrorizing them, threatening to kill them. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil this episode for anyone for who's it. listening. That's you fine. Know, in the end, basically what it comes down to is, you know, the machines once again say, like, are you going to give me a tip? I just want a tip. And then, you know, right as he's about to, you know, get killed or something like that, Mulder very, you know, begrudgingly, gives the robot waiter a tip <laughs> and then all the waiters just back off and go back to their normal lives or whatever. And the whole thing is like, oh, we've made them too smart, you know, and we're treating them like servants. We need to be nicer to them, you know, that kind of thing. And then that was it. It's like, that's a really great episode. You know, it's a, but that there's no really bad guys aside from the robots or anything like that. There's no X-Files involved. It's just something that happens to these two random people who happen to be working on X-Files every other day of their lives, you know? So, uh, you know, that kind of thing bothers me. And that's what I see all of Gotham being, you know? And that's what I see this Pennyworth show being. And, you know, we were talking about this on Slack, but, like, I, I the, the Lou Grant show, did you ever watch that thing? No, no. Uh, I know I'm completely familiar with Mary Tyler Moore and Lou Grant because my parents watched it. Yeah. And so it was like in the back of my head while I was waiting for like Battlestar Galactica to come on or something like that. Did you watch Mary Tyler Moore? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was great. It's fun. You know, she's turning the world on with her smile. She's throwing her hat in the air and everything like that. Ted great. Knight is on the show, which right. is a, a bonus. It's a great sitcom. There's the episode where the clown dies and everything like that. Yep. It's hilarious. Yep. Everything, all that stuff. So then, like, you know, they gave her best friend a spinoff and they gave her next door neighbor a spinoff and it's, you know, all comedy gold and everything like that. And then they're like, oh, we're going to give Lou Grant his own spinoff. And like, I remember as a kid, like I was a huge Mary Tyler Moore fan and looking in the TV guide and seeing like Lou Grant is going to be on, I think it was like A&E at that point in time. And I'm like, this is great. Wow. It's an hour long. That's crazy. You know, an hour of comedy, an hour of laughs. I cannot wait. (laughs) And I turn it on and he's now like a reporter at like a newspaper. And it's like this, you know, hard drama about crime in the city and, you know, all this like dark stuff happening. I think like he, you know, talks someone down from, you know, killing someone else or whatever. And it was like, dark and dramatic and i mean it would be like if you know there was a a mary tyler moore spinoff but it was law and order you know and it's like (laughs) this is crazy but good because it is that character and now he's just doing like a dramatic thing or whatever and it is his own thing and it's not trying to be mary tyler moore just without mary tyler moore and it's like that's what i want to see you know i want to see As as I mentioned on, on our Slack channel, I want to see a Chase Meridian show with okay. Nicole Kidman, 25 years post-Batman Forever, where she's just, you know, like an A-list psychologist doing her psychologist thing. No superhero... No, she just happened to... At one point, she dated Batman, but that was 25 years ago. We've all moved on. 
Batman's not Batman anymore. None of this stuff is going on, and she's just a psychologist in this city, which happens to be Gotham. Written and directed by Akiva Goldsman. Bring it. But why? what's your hook? Why would people... I mean, why does it need to be Chase Meridian then? You're just describing a cool show. Like, why tie it into the property at all? Because, I mean, there are elements with that character which you could bring forward. That was a cool character. You know, you could have yeah. Nicole Kidman in it, right? You can see what Gotham City is like, even if, you know, for, from the perspective of an everyday citizen who isn't terrorized by, you know, Harvey Dent on a regular basis, you know? But you'd still like have to have... Like, she walks home and it still has the neon streets and everything like that, but there aren't any, you know, like, you know... Um, day glow, you know, gangsters who are trying to like beat up people with nunchucks <laughs> yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? Would you at least concede occasionally her seeing uh, a fight or a cop chase or even something on the news about Harvey Dent or? Well, sure. Penguin I mean, like, like it, they could even do things where, like, oh, she's going to Arkham Asylum, you know, to to whatever to do a profile on this guy if, if that's, you know, her thing, because, you know, maybe that is her thing. You know, I mean, she is like a hot shot, you know, criminal psychologist. It seems like she's brought in by, you know, the GCPD to deal with Harvey Dent and everything. She goes to she's given access to to check out Riddler and stuff. So maybe that's her thing. Right. But, and, but but see, that right there, you've instantly made the show even better and made somebody want to watch, I think, because you're tying it back in right there where she goes to Arkham and like you could have a whole, you know, it doesn't have to be an act. I think maybe the middle ground is it doesn't have to be an action show where something goes wrong and she gets trapped in Arkham. It could just be a show about her talking to these people in the asylum. Yeah, it's, it's and trying in, to figure stuff out. Sure. It's in treatment, but instead of, uh, you know. It's, it's it's basically that podcast, the uh, <laughs> what was it, the the Arkham Arkham Sessions. Uh, I don't remember that one. It's 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 a podcast. I mean, it's it's pretty popular. Where basically, uh, these two people go through, but but the the one person is like a psychologist, I, I believe, and they go through every episode of Batman the Animated Series, and they you know talk about the episode, whatever. But then they also break down the psychology of the characters in the episode. Nice. It's, it's, it's yeah, I, I, I haven't really listened to it much, but it's very, very popular. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a great concept. No, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, okay. So you, you've brought me in there then where it's like you, you could even have it be, quote, unquote, a Batman show because Batman chucks somebody and they wind up in Arkham Asylum and then Chase Meridian is the first person to start doing work with them. So yeah. there's still but, that Batman in the periphery, and then you could even work it in where it's like, you know, how has she come to peace with the fact that she used to date Batman, but, mm-hmm. and he's still kind of like in her, like, you know, sometimes you the person you break up with is still in your life for whatever reason, and you got to deal with that. But at this point, Batman would be probably more like Dark Knight Returns Batman, right? Yes. It's 25 years later and, you know, all that good stuff. Oh, now, see, that would be a really interesting angle is Batman has retired and just every so often it's just Bruce Wayne. Like, you know, you could have him show up and it's never Batman. It's just Bruce Wayne. And like he'll occasionally like stop by and be like, so, you know, and like she could start. No, she could start head shrinking him like 
I thought you walked away from this. I thought you're done with this. You're not going to come back. Okay, but again, that could be that's like a once a season thing because it's like, oh yeah, this guy I dated for like two years, twenty five years ago, right? Because he's not even, they're not even together hey, by the time they get to Batman and Robin. Mix it up, and she has a kid, and you have a question: Is it Bruce Wayne's? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't go. think no. See, they, now you're getting into the Gotham territory. No, no, no just, Now I'm getting into the TV producer territory. I'm getting into the pay me eight dollars a, a month to watch my show once a week territory. Okay. I don't know. I, I think I think maybe we save that for season two. You know. It's a discovery thing. Just let okay. Chase Meridian be Chase Meridian for season one, and then you can introduce Bruce and then Wayne once, in season once, two. Yes, once everybody has adjusted to the fact that it's her own show and she has her own identity, then in the last ten seconds of the first season, you can say, oh, and by the way, Bruce Wayne, tune in next time. And everybody yeah. can say, oh my gosh, he's wearing the wrong suit. And you get Val like Kilmer that. to come in for, you know, like a, you know, one I would episode. love that. I would love that J- just because I would love for Val Kilmer to get healthy again, you know, not to bring the room down, but like that would be great if it were if they if it were Val Kilmer that they brought back totally on board. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you could see like that. That's the type of thing which I mean, there's literally a show just like this, which just got not picked up, which I don't understand at all. This LA's finest show, which was a spinoff of Bad Boys, with Gabrielle Union's character from Bad Boys Two. Why? Why didn't it get picked up? I have no freaking idea. Because then you hear about it and you're like, what? You know? Okay, here's here's the, here's the premise of the show. Take Gabrielle Union's character. What she was like a DEA agent or something like that yeah, in Bad Boys yeah. Two. Okay, now it's 15 years later. She's in LA. And she's a cop, right? And her partner is Jessica Alba. Okay? Yeah. So you've got two movie stars yeah. in a show, which is a spinoff of another really uh, a popular enough series that they're making another movie about it, right? Yeah. And you say, no, pass. See, what? this is how... This is this is the thing that like this gets into like one of the things that bends my brain, right? Is, you know, one part of me with like the the recent wave of cancellations and everything like that is me being the curmudgeon is like, you know, I I am old enough to remember when shows got canceled and you just had to be like, "Oh, nuts." And you'd be bummed. And you know, like the Twin Peaks thing, I never really got over, but I got over it. I was like, "Uh, you know, every so often a friend would be like, "Didn't it suck that Twin Peaks got canceled?" I was like, "Yeah, it kind of does. Let's go out and have a beer," you know? But, like, if we're in an era where they're legitimately constantly complaining that, like, oh, we need so much content. Oh, we need new content. People need content. We can't provide enough content. Why would you cancel something that even has, like, a niche audience? It's content and people are watching it. It gives you an in with somebody and then you can find a way to, like, branch out from there and get more eyeballs and stuff like that. Like, I, you know, there are some business models where, like, the first year or two or whatever, you're like, I'm going to operate at a loss, but it's for the long game. In year three, I'm going to start to turn a profit. Why can't you do that with TV shows and just be like, this is a losing proposition and I know it's going to hurt, but I'm going to... It's it's like when, um, it's like when the studios, uh, you know, because Paul Thomas Anderson is always like, you know, well, they make those movies to make money and then they bring me in because they want the prestige. They want an award. 
because then they can get, you know, more eyeballs and stuff like that. Well, I mean, I think they do do that. And I mean, I think that's the only reason why Enterprise got a season four was because they were like, we can sell DVDs later on, you know, like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is definitely that going on. Um, and I forget who it was. Who was it? Someone who it was doing a show on HBO and they were asking them. I think it was like some guy who's normally a filmmaker and he, he was doing like a TV show on HBO and they're like, what's that like? And he's like, it's great. HBO is great because they do not care at all about ratings. All they want is prestige because prestige is what gets people to subscribe. So as yeah. long as people are talking about the show being good, then they'll let you make it. I forget who that was. But. Well, it, cer- it certainly explains because I know that um, I know that CBS is making a push for Discovery to get Emmys. Like you know, well, they, yeah. they're making it a hard that's, push for that. I mean, that, that's I mean, there was the story, but the fact of the matter is, they do that with every single show. I'll never forget the very first issue of Variety I ever read had a full page ad. This is for the Oscars, but full page ad. For your consideration, best actor, Michael Jordan, Space Jam. <laughs> that sounds pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think they that's just standard operating procedure, you know. Okay. But whatever. But wouldn't that change? Like, I guess, are they, I mean, it's no different than another streaming show asking for an Emmy, right? It's like, yeah, it's the I don't, thing. I don't know how they, you know, I think that. I mean, even though that's technically not broadcast or whatever, I think television, in terms of like the Emmys or whatever, we're just like, we're claiming it. This is ours. This is our territory. We're taking the Netflix thing. So, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, that, you know, honestly, now that I think about it, that's sort of like a an interesting thing because Netflix, if they produce a movie, like if Amazon Prime produces a movie, they can get it nominated for an oscar and at the same time they have shows that they can get nominated for emmys well but amazon prime amazon their strategy which you know was everyone was wondering what they would do after netflix established theirs but amazon works like a traditional movie studio where they release their movies like wide theatrically and then once they've had their run you know they wait a couple weeks and then it comes out I, I think they don't even release it on Prime right right away. I think they try to sell it for a bit, like on on you know on demand and stuff like that, and then they release it on Prime, you know, further down the road. Whereas Netflix's strategy is, you know, they just release it straight to Netflix, and for shows which they think might have some sort of uh, Oscar potential, they pretty much just like four wallet, and you know have like a couple of theaters in you know LA or wherever which will show their movies for you know like a week just so that it qualifies as a movie before being released on video you know on Netflix so it's two different strategies there but because of that that's how they get away with you know these movies qualifying for Oscar runs as opposed to Emmy runs, although I imagine something like Cloverfield Paradox would technically be a TV movie and not a theatrical movie. Yeah, because, because it never had its theatrical run. Right. It went straight to Netflix. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, so in, in that, you know, if I change my perception toward uh, it's a TV movie, um, <laughs> best cinematography in a TV movie probably definitely deserves that. It's it's certainly up there. Yeah, yeah. Although yeah. you know, some some of these now are pretty through the roof. I mean, you look at like what HBO is doing, whatever you know, behind the candelabra and stuff. Pretty great. Yeah, I know that's Soderbergh and everything, and I haven't seen it, but. Yeah. Oh, 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 just to uh, just to update you, because you raked me over the coals, I have um, next up is going to be out of sight because I did watch Rashomon and I did watch the Queen of Versailles. And so out of sight is uh, next up in the queue for my oh watching. Oh, my God. I'm so excited for you. I'm so jealous that you're getting <laughs> to see that movie for the first time. <laughs> I'm just ex- I'm just excited that uh, people can stop shaming me. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> online for uh for not having seen out of sight so i am i'm thrilled that that the torment can end but i you know honestly i've had like a really great string of uh i because i this may disappoint you but like i considered rashomon brilliant and wonderful yeah i considered florida project brilliant and wonderful i considered queen of versailles brilliant and wonderful terrific documentary highly recommend it and um so it's like i'm trying to keep this string now like I'm terrified now of the drop off. I'm eventually going to hit something on my list where I'm going to step off the cliff and I'm going well, to just plummet. It's not going to happen without of sight. I can tell you that. You know, you're the best is yet to come. But for me, I mean, just looking at things that I've watched new. Uh, well, the last one was Infinity War, believe it or not, which was fine. Uh, I watched You Were Never Really Here, which was fine. Um, not as great as everyone says it is. And then Fire Walk With Me before that, The Director and yeah. the Jedi, which is really good, Quiet Place. I haven't really seen much new stuff lately. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, you know, it, it, it's actually fitting at, right now to be afraid of that drop-off because we're we're on the anniversary now of the release of The Matrix Reloaded, which was... Uh, that was one of those ones where I was like, hey, I'm having having a great string of movies. I'm enjoying what's going on. And then I watched Matrix Reloaded, and I was like, hmm, yeah. See, I, mm. I loved Reloaded. You know, I thought that was great. Um, and, and, and it was really weird to me because, like, uh, like I watched it. I We went to, like, a sister theater when they screened it, and, and Max and I did, and we watched it. Max, I mean, he's the biggest Matrix fan in the world. And, you know, we watched Reloaded, and I think we both came out of the theater thinking, like, that was amazing, you know? I wonder where it's going to go from here. And, like, you got to that whole thing at the end, and you're just like, wait, 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 what's going on? You know, when they're ta- when he's talking to the architect? And then, you know, we went to see it the very next night at the midnight screening, and, you know, listening to that a second time, I was like, oh, okay, I'm starting to understand this is really cool. I cannot wait to see what they do next. And then when Revolutions came out, that's when I was like, uh, this is good, but I, you know, not not at the same level as Reloaded. I, I would not call Revolutions good. Uh, I have revisited Reloaded, and mm-hmm. there are some really, there are things in it that I really like. Like, it's almost like a... Um, it honestly is almost like a, a Last Jedi experience for me, mm-hmm. where it's like there are things that I, I do like, that I like that they did, that I didn't expect, that went interesting places, 
And then there are other things where I just am just treading water until I get to the thing that I like again. And everybody knows, I'm not going to be labor. Everybody knows how I feel about that type of ending that they had with matrix reloaded. Yeah. Like it just, it's like a giant middle finger. It's the, they did it with the end of the hunger games. The only one that escapes my ire for some reason. And I've never been able to figure out why is back to the future part two. That's the only one that I never at the end of it was like, screw this movie and screw the filmmakers because they're blah, 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 blah. That was the only one that I never got mad about that type of ending. Well, there's probably two reasons for that. One, you were younger and you hadn't been burned. But two, that's how the first one ends, but just like more as a joke than anything. So it makes it more palatable because the it's been an established thing. Excellent point. Excellent point. With I don't know. I see. I I didn't really have a problem with that, but I guess the other difference with that one, which I also applies to the Matrix, is there's only six months in between. You know, like you know that this thing is coming up right away. You know, it's you don't have to wait at all for it. You know, same thing with Kill Bill. Uh, It well, although we didn't know exactly when that was coming up, but you know, it was six months away still. So, but that's you know. But I, I don't know, and and you know, it's it, it just you you mentioning Matrix Reloaded just completely jogged my mind that you know looking at this thing, I'm like, how come I haven't seen anything in like the past you know month? It's because I've been binging Sensate, the Wachowskis' uh, Netflix show. So mm-hmm. um, I've been I've been watching that pretty much nonstop, and that's really good. Have you seen it at all? No, it's it's no. really good. Um, it takes a while to get into because it's so weird that, you know, just like the characters, like for the first like two or three episodes, you basically have no idea what's going on. But once you figure it out, then, you know, you, you really start getting into it. And like the characters are like so well written and everything. And it really does have like a thing which is, um, you know, I, I think, you know, lots of times sort of like missing from television, which is like kind of a singular voice or I mean, there's three of them. It's it's the Wachowskis and J. Michael Straczynski together. But like they wrote like every single episode, at least that I've seen so far. And I'm like, you know, two or three episodes into season two. It's all them. And the Wachowskis directed the majority of the episodes themselves. The ones that they didn't direct were directed by people like Tom Tickver, the the dude who did Run Silent, or, I'm sorry, not Run, uh, Run Lola Run, and uh, okay. and James McTeague, who's their like assistant director. Also, I'm pretty sure the assistant director on episode one, who um, did like V for Vendetta, you know, for them and stuff like that. So he's like, you know, their their guy. He's their Irvin Kershner, you know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's it's very much sort of like one controlled vision. It's not like they're hiring people from the outside to come in and do this. It it really does feel like a cohesive whole. And um, that's, that's, which is really impressive. I don't know how they do it because this thing spans like, I mean, it's, it's the scope of it is massive because it's eight characters living you know, literally around the globe and they go to all these places to shoot this stuff and you have, like, all of these characters, like, interacting with each other in all of these various locations 
you know, from one scene to the next. And it's just like, how, like the whole time I'm sitting there watching it thinking like, how did they do this? How, like just from a, from a practical standpoint, how did they direct all of this? I mean, I I don't know if they shot the entire season all at once, you know, like do all the stuff in Africa, then all the stuff in Korea. I, I don't know, but whatever it is, it's, really really good and and the reason why i'm binging it is because they they've got it it was canceled but they were able to talk netflix into letting them do like a basically like a finale movie just to sort of like tie up all the loose ends and uh, they're doing like a benefit screening here in chicago because the wachowskis are from chicago and uh, they're going to be showing the finale a couple weeks early at a theater here so i'm going to that so i need to barrel through this show before that happens so yeah that's what i've been doing that's what i've been doing instead of watching movies it's like watching one big long wachowski movie and the whole time i'm just like you know god i need to go back and watch the matrix and the matrix reloaded and speed racer and everything i i, see, I don't know man i it's like just i seriously yeah i mean i remember the matrix you know surprising all of us and i remember you know a guy came out of the the movie and he was like you've got to go see this movie right now you're gonna love it you've got to go and on like a day off going and seeing it and i was like oh that was crazy good i really enjoyed what just happened yeah and then just reloaded was it was just a it was a letdown it's not a bad movie not i'm not saying it's a bad movie but it was just one of those things where i saw it i was actually i was um i don't think we were engaged no were we I don't think we were engaged by that point. But anyway, the, the woman who became my wife, we saw it together. And um, I uh, uh, I remember walking out and, you know, it's not the stuff like the Matrix is in her cup of tea. This is back early enough in the relationship when, you know, one, you know, either one of us would watch something that the other wanted to watch and like be, be like game for it as opposed <laughs> to like, no, I don't want to do it. And um, so I remember she had like this hopeful look on her face as we were walking out because she knew how excited I was to see it. And I remember walking out, and she looked at me, and she said, did you like it? And she had a big smile on her face, you know, like almost like when you open a present from somebody and they got that look on their face, like, I sure hope you like this as much as I want you to like it. And I just remember looking at her and just going, yeah, it was good. And she immediately knew. She was like, what does that mean? I was like, oh, it was good. It was good. And, it, you know, so she uh, she kind of, learned to read me in that moment um sort of thing that that the gears were turning yeah i remember i i for some reason i remember coming out of that screening and or like the the first the midnight show and there was some some guy on his phone who was you know talking to a friend or whatever you know and he's like uh eh, it kind of sucked and i'm like <laughs> really like that's the you know okay I, I it was just like one of those weird things but but i think it, it it really does kind of like speak to that hype again where like the matrix did come out of nowhere and you know blew everyone away because no one was expecting it but you know matrix reloaded i mean that was like the biggest opening of an r rated movie in history because you know everyone was expecting it to be a, like a you know 
I, I, you know, I actually remember uh, reading an article leading up to it with Joel Silver was the producer, right? And mm-hmm. I remember him, I remember specifically in the article, he was talking about tracking and it was like 98% awareness or something like that. And he was all excited because he was like, nobody ever scores this much awareness on a movie. And, you know, they were talking about how excited he was. It meant the movie was going to be a huge smash and stuff like that. And I just... I, I honestly think that the the fundamental uh, issue with Reloaded was that they went into it knowing that Revolutions was where they were going to resolve it. And what what's funny is I wind up in sort of a reverse argument with Infinity War because you can make the argument with Infinity War. Well, we know the four you know the next Avengers movie is going to come out a year from now, and we know that it's gonna it's gonna resolve itself. Certain things, spoilers are gonna you know certain people are gonna come back from the dead and stuff like that. But like I look at the two endings, and like the ending of Infinity War. I consider a completely different situation because you could in fact end Avengers Infinity War and just be done and say, yeah, there's still going to be Marvel movies, but this is it for these characters. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Matrix Reloaded, it's like, and tune in next week. Like it, it's a serial. And of course, you know, I'm cool with serials and stuff like that, but it just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think that's true because you're you're ending it in saying like, oh, well, these characters are dead. But you're also saying half the people in the universe are dead. You know, yeah. that's not an ending that you can come back from ever, you know. And it's, it's not an ending. It, it's it's not. I mean, it, uh, it, maybe it I pretends to be, but it's not. And I, 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 I disagree. I've only seen it once, but I remember when the credits rolled saying, wow, that was really... Just, just the way that it was structured, it felt like its own movie. It didn't feel like there was... like. I, I think the thing that gets muddled is that people, we all know they're not going to let it remain. And so we just say, oh, well, this isn't resolved. But the thing is, if you look at the actual structure of everything, I, I, I will insist, I will continue to insist that the way that it's put together, like this is its own movie. It resolves everything internally. It is... You know, I would hate it if they ended it here because it would it would be like a huge kick in the balls. But like if they did, then it holds up. It's a, it's not like the movie doesn't doesn't survive itself. Like, it, it, you know, it holds no, together. No, it, it doesn't, because, you know, there, there is no like coda where it's like, oh, and, and now this is what happened to them after the fact, you know. Tony Stark did live to the age of 85 and the whole time he regretted the fact that, you know, or anything like that. And then also you've got the credit cookie, which. Right. I, I, I still I still say the credit cookie was a huge mistake. They should have said this is different. No credit cookie. And they just had nothing. Yeah. I, I do think that the 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 stinger at the end is completely works against everything and uh, it should never have been there, should never have been there. It is interesting now that, you know, because apparently, and I haven't seen it, so whatever, but apparently, you know, we've got this season finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which people thought might be the series finale, but they got picked up for like a half a season. But, you know, it's ending with, it takes place concurrently with Infinity War, and it's ending with them all, you know, disappearing or whatever. And, you know, everyone's like, well, how are they going to come back from that? You know, because... You've got a full mm-hmm. season of television before Infinity War 2 comes out, right? But, 
in their infinite wisdom or desperation or whatever, they've uh, decided that the, I guess, final 13 episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. will air next summer, conveniently, after the release of Infinity War 2? Wars? Infinity Wars? Infinity Wars, but with a Z. Yeah. It'll have a Z on the end. (laughs) Well, but I, mm, I, I don't know. Like, um, I haven't watched Agents of Shield or anything like that. Uh, uh, why are they waiting so long? Is it simply, well, they because don't want people I think to get sh- fatigued? Yeah, this. Sh- well, I think the reason why they're waiting so long is because they're like, you know, we want to give it a resolution. We've got stronger things to air, you know, during the fall and. Uh, you know, this is a good way to, that we can come back post Infinity War, post Avengers Four. You know, and uh, explain. Oh why no, they're I, still here. I mean, why are they waiting for Avengers Four? What do you mean? Why are they waiting for it? What? Why? Why not release it sooner? I mean, they they've obviously been working on the production of it, and they filmed everything. Oh, so like, why is it coming out in in May? Yeah, instead of what December. Christmas time. Oh, There's no got, Star Wars movie this year. And they got Mary Poppins this year. Yeah, it seems like a tactical mistake. I don't know. I mean, they seem to know what they're doing. Oh, no. I'm not <laughs> saying that Marvel doesn't know what they're doing. I'm just saying that, like, Disney's nuts if they think Mary Poppins is going to make the money. Like, I... I, I don't so think, I've seen Mary Poppins tons and tons of times, but I like I don't think they think it's going to be you know Avengers big, but I think they think it's going to be a nice solid holiday family movie. You know, I know Lin Manuel Miranda's replacing Dick Van Dyke, but yeah. who's playing Mary Poppins again? Emily Blunt. Which is oh, okay, I'll go see it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, I like her. Yeah, she's. I good. think I I think she's a really good actress. Like, I still think that they should cast her as Snake Plissken in the Escape from New York remake. That'd be so badass, but whatever. Never I would happen. I would actually be perfectly okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely would be perfectly okay with that. I you know, I'm not I'm not one to necessarily be on board with the trend of like and now all your childhood heroes have, you know, switched to female. But mm-hmm. if there's an actress who I think could carry that, a story like that, after seeing Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. After seeing Edge of Tomorrow and a quiet place. I would cast Emily Blunt in just about anything. Yeah. Like I think she's just an amazing actress and I would put her like she's in contention not, for it all. Not to mention Sicario. Have you seen Sicario yet? Yes, oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. Oh and, my and, gosh. And hey, we got Sicario 2 coming out uh, this uh sold. Yeah. I will I will definitely definitely see that and I will, you know, definitely see uh Dune's gone into production and stuff like that, so yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. So and and of course, I I think um, before we go, it, we'd be remiss not to also acknowledge that we're uh, we're we're you know as this drops, we're just past the another anniversary for Attack of the Clones being released. So uh, yes, yay. Attack of the Clones, which he he he's pretty much denied this to this day but it's another movie which i screened early at at a sister theater with max and we got to the end and this was like on a wednesday night right because the movie was released on like thursday at midnight right we got to the end you know so it ended at like three o'clock in the morning 
And I looked at my watch and I'm like, well, we only got to wait another 21 hours to see it again. And, and Max said, uh, only if we don't play it again right now. That's how, mu- <laughs> that's how much Max liked that movie first time watching it. So there you go. There you go. Oh, oh, I like knowing that. I do like knowing that. <laughs> that's like, that, no, no, that's not true, but it was. It happened. I remember it vividly. Yeah, I'm going to keep that in my back pocket Yeah, because that's that's pretty great. That's pretty great. I still love Attack of the Clones. And, yeah, it's um, good. I just watched that last week. Um, yeah. It's good. And I, I, I think it's better than good. I, I really enjoy that movie a lot, and I love... Uh, you know, I I love just the fact that like I think it's obvious that Lucas is looser after Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. I think he, I think he's looser. I think he's a little bit more himself. Uh, okay. <laughs> Feel free to disagree. All right, all right. I'm not exactly sure I would characterize any of those movies as being loose, but uh, yeah, okay. No, cool. see, uh, okay. <laughs> the, by looser, I mean he's more, he's more relaxed. I think that the movie. Has a uh, a, a more uh, you know obviously I'm struggling for the word but I think I more comfortable I see a filmmaker who's more comfortable with the modern technology in Attack of the Clones than maybe he was in the Phantom Menace. Okay, in that regard, I, I would say maybe he's a little too comfortable because watching that the other day, I have to say. There were numerous times throughout, and I like I remember back then seeing it being like, you know, oh my god, the effects are amazing. We've never seen anything like this before, and in a lot of ways that's true. But then in a lot of other ways, that there there were shots where it's like, this is literally just a guy walking across like a dirt surface, and you can clearly see that he is not standing on any dirt at all, and his feet are basically not touching the ground. And it's like, what are you guys doing here? You know, this looks so fake, so incredibly okay, but, fake. But see, but see that, but see that's that's one of the things that I find really intriguing, right? Is yeah, there are insert shots like um, uh, uh, Mace Windu, Yoda, and Obi Wan walking through the Jedi Temple Hall, the Great Hall is a shot that was put together or a scene that was put together where they were like, okay, we cut these two scenes over here, but we still need this dialogue to advance the plot. We're going to shoot them in front of a screen and then we're going to have, you know, you guys put this together. So it's, you know, it's, it's something that's put together later in the production process and everything like that. There are things now in movies with clearer and longer production processes where there are similar effects breakdowns. There are moments in Infinity War that are just like that, oh, and yeah. they knew Infinity did, War was coming. Did we, did we talk about the heads at the yes. end? Yes, <laughs> right. The floating heads yeah. that look like they're literally oh, just God. pasted on. That was terrible. Yes, and the th- so what's their excuse? They've had longer to do this, and they knew this movie was coming, and they had their shot list. I, I don't necessarily think they do have an excuse, you know. But I think that that Lucas had the same thing. I, I mean, there's just, and maybe it was just that he's like, we can do everything. Look at this, and then now it's been established. I mean, I was just watching like the behind the scenes stuff on Black Panther, and it's like, okay, that scene is like completely CGI, except for 
you know, a, a dirt floor, you know? And it's like, maybe it was, you know, episode three or whatever, where they're like, okay, yeah, 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 that didn't work. Next time, we at least need to have a dirt floor, you know? And then that'll sell it because that's where, you know, the, the, the you know, rubber meets the road quite literally, you know? And, and, uh, and that's what you need to do to sell the seamlessness of this. You know, I don't know. Yeah, but, you know... Uh, <laughs> But but see but see that but see that's the thing is like for any of the flaws that are here or there and yeah yeah there are flaws I get it with it with Attack of the Clones and stuff and it you know we can have that endless debate where I constantly defend blah 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 but that factory sequence where they get lost in the factory and they're going through all of that stuff it still blows my damn mind that that was just them running around there's even that behind the scenes thing you know, uh, on the bloopers or, or whatever like that, where they simply have like these long yardsticks and a green thing and these, you know, little columns for Natalie Portman to uh, jump over and under and stuff like that. And she turns around, she looks at Lucas who's standing there and she's like, you're pranking me. You're, 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 you're messing with me and you're, you're doing some joke or something like that. And he's sitting there. He's like, no, 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 no. It's going to look great. It's going to look great. You just jump over this and you go under that. And it's, I mean, it's worth it, man. It's worth any of the flaws to have a scene like that, which is just amazing to watch and still blows my mind. It's a good sequence. Although, you know, I mean, the thing that you notice in that scene, which I think does hold true, is they're literally just like, we need an action beat. Like, okay, like we, we, we missed an action beat. Let's put it in here, you know? And uh, the the only The only problem I have with the scene at all is that it's, I think the only time you ever see 3PO able to move his arms above his head. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the entire saga, it's the only time you see him reach above his head and it's because he needs to. <laughs> so it's like, it, you know, but at the same time, there's nothing saying that he couldn't. We just never saw a situation where he had to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's a good movie. It is a good movie. Um I I'm going through I need to watch Revenge of the Sith this week. Oh. And uh yeah. Yeah, yeah then I'll be yeah, all ready I... for I'll be all ready for solo. So You know, I'm trying to figure out which movie to watch in the lead up. I want to do it like it's not going to be a true double feature, but I'm trying to figure out well, if I mean, I'm looking for something that's in the same feel as Solo, I don't think Rogue One qualifies. That would be Empire, but I'm going to well, wait and watch yeah. that afterwards, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to put my finger on it because the, the vibe of it feel actually feels, to me, I mean, we're talking about Attack of the Clones. It feels sort of Attack of the Clones-ish. No. In the, yeah. It does not not in terms of like the Jedi mystery and stuff like that, but in terms of like the cool James Deany sort of thing going on. That's the uh, I, I definitely think Empire. I mean, if, if we're limiting it to Star Wars movies, Empire. Yeah, you think it's going to feel like Empire? Well, I, I guess since Kasdan wrote it. Yeah, I do. Okay, I do. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. If uh, people want to agree or disagree with you about that, where can they find you online? Well, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, where we we talk about uh, movies from the perspective of, you know, the projectionist, the booth, you know? We're going to be 
talking about some uh, some 3D technology here this week. So Ooh. be sure to check that out. That's exciting. That's exciting. And I do have uh, uh, some... I got a little mad at Max in the last episode, so... Because of the sound to... thing? Yeah. What I'm about it? mad at him. Oh, well, the f- first and foremost, <laughs> I care about the sound formats. Oh, okay. So, you know, <laughs> come on, man. Come All on. Right. Stay All right. Stay with me here. Fair. You know, no, I actually, I thought the whole sound formats thing is really, really interesting, especially because of the fact that, you, like, you, you've talked about how the, you know, like, those discs can get cracked and everything, and it's yeah. just... It seems that there's so much. Oh, you know what it was? Was I was going to um, bring up the fact that when you were talking about how you had, I think it was SDTS and DTS or something like that, and like one was on the film and one was the discs, and uh, you were talking about uh, like why did one go this way or one go that way? Like I, I can't remember the, the exact thing, but I the the vantage point I came from was. One was obviously a solution come up with by somebody who looked at the problem as I have to come up with sound that works on this film print, whereas you had something, uh, and I think it's the discs one, where you had an engineer look at it and say, how can I put these building blocks together uh, to work? Yeah. So it was like like it was obviously like two different and whoever came up with the one that went on the film was obviously thinking in terms of, you know, somebody came into one team and said, we need a new sound format. And they said, OK, well, it's got to be on. They were just thinking, where are we going to put this on the film strip? And they obviously had limited themselves to that, whereas you had another team that didn't restrict themselves. And they said, so how is this going to work best? Yeah. And somebody came up with a different idea. So I can see that. I can see yeah. that. Yeah. We get into all this crazy technical stuff over there on filmdamagepod.com, so check it out. Yeah, you should. And uh, if you want to check out some other things that I'm on, I'm here on the network on Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast with Matthew Rushing. And you can find me out there in the ether co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And if you want to yell at me online, I am Kessel Junkie on Twitter, mostly. Mostly on Twitter. Anyway, so thank you for joining us on Great Shot Kid, and we look forward to speaking with you next time. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.